everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Today we are starting a brand new series called Supernatural. That there is more to this world than just what the eyes can see. And to start the series today, we have a special friend of Moncton Wesleyan who is joining us. And uh, a long-term relationship that I can speak to is when I was in university many, many, many years ago. Now we're talking about 30 years ago that I think I sat in this guy's class. And it really is miraculous because when you see him, you're going to see that he is so much older than me and yet looks so much younger and better than me. And so when you see Mike, you will know that there is a testimony that God still does miracles in the world today. We want to welcome today our good friend from Kingswood University, Professor Mike McNeil. Would you make him feel welcome? <laughs> Thank you. Well, that was quite an introduction. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure how to follow that up, but uh, it's great to be with you this morning and to, and to share and to be able to, to, be able to uh, open up this, uh, this series on, uh, called Supernatural. Uh, I don't know if I've ever, this might be the first time a church has invited me to open a series. I don't know if I've, I've ever kind of experienced that before. And uh, you, may, you may assume, uh, because I'm a Bible college professor, you might think uh, that I come from like five generations of pastors or, you know, something like that. But uh, actually, uh, I grew up totally outside of the church. Uh, my dad was raised in a, in a strict religious home that shoved religion down his throat, so he rebelled, and uh, he raised uh, our family to not go to church, to, to, to not be interested in anything spiritual at all, and, uh, and so I grew up just like the stereotypical Canadian pagan boy uh, that, you know, uh, tried drinking and partying and drugs and just like all the stuff that, that you do. And, uh, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was, I was really, I was really looking for God, but I would, on the outside, I appeared very, very skeptical and very, very anti-God. And, uh, and it was, a, it was, I was 24 years old and it was a, it was a Friday night and I kind of got, uh, tricked into going to church. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I somehow found myself uh, at, at King's Church when it was, uh, you know, maybe 30 or 40 people meeting in a school. And it was a Friday night, and I walked in there with the worst attitude in the world, not thinking that, uh, you know, that anything, anything about it was real. And, uh, and I had that classic Billy Graham experience uh, of like the, the preacher, it was almost like the room faded away. He was talking right to me. I was like, how is this guy describing my life? How does he know all of these things that are going on inside of me? And, uh, and at the end, he gave one of those like good old school like altar calls where he said, uh, if God has spoken to you in any way, like come down front. And I was like, you were doing good until then, buddy, but nobody is going to come down front. Who's going to get up in front of all of these people and embarrass himself and go down front? 
And as I was thinking this, I was standing up. I don't know how that works out theologically, but my brain was going, only an idiot would stand up and go down front, and I was standing up. And, and I walked down to the front, and, uh, and I was like, God, like, I, don't even, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, like, I, I, I want you. And uh, the only way I can describe what happened to me, I mean, it was supernatural. It's like, God, be, before that moment, I just, I didn't really, I wasn't church, so I didn't even know what to do. I, I was the only one who came forward. And I came forward, and I was like, well, it's a church, so I probably should kneel. So I knelt down. And the, way, the best way I can describe it is the God who was just this idea out there somewhere, all of a sudden, this isn't very theological, but it was like, kind of like, <laughs> all of a sudden, there was this presence there. It was a tangible thing. It was invisible. I could not, you know, Jesus didn't appear to me physically, uh, but I felt the presence of Jesus. And that night I went home and, uh, and I, had the, I had the only divine dream I've ever had in my whole life. In the dream, God showed up to me as a bright uh, white light that like lit up and it just, just kind of obscured everything else. Uh, and, and I woke up uh, at that point where God appeared in the dream. It was like, and I woke up. And uh, to be honest, I have never recovered. I have never recovered from my, from my conversion. And uh, it was, it was, and so, so. I was a person that was really skeptical, and you know what I needed to do? I needed to experience God in some way. I needed something tangible, something real. And, uh, and so, so God gave me that experience. So, so my whole Christian walk has kind of been marked by, by the supernatural, uh, by things that, that are kind of unexplainable. And, and I believe at its heart, you know, Paul said that, Paul said that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, that, that everything else is in vain. Like we, Christianity is by its very nature a supernatural, a supernatural uh, religion. And, uh, and so I want to take us to a story in the Bible today. Uh, the, the title of my message is Holy Spit, and you will, uh, you will see why in, in a minute we're going to go to that, to that story where Jesus uh, is, is, has an encounter with a, with a blind man and he spits in his eye. And so uh, I want to talk about when Jesus uses unconventional ways to display his unconditional love. When Jesus uses unconventional ways to display his, his unconditional love. Uh, I, I, just, uh, I just have another book out. Uh, that's, this is a little kind of commercial before we get into the scripture. But... Uh, uh, so these are available out, these will be available after the service. It's a book of stories of, of uh, Jesus kind of working in supernatural ways, like in the present day, in the present time. And so some of what, some of what I'm going to share today, uh, some of the stories are, are in the book. Uh, and, and the books are like 10 bucks each. And so I'm obviously not getting rich off of this. This is, uh, this is a way for me to like extend my, my speaking to, uh, to put the stories of what Jesus is doing today 
into, uh, into people's hands. And so if you'd be interested in getting one of those, uh, they'll, be, they'll be available uh, later. But I want to take us into the scripture in, uh, in Mark 8, 22 to 25. I love, the, I love the gospel stories, the simple stories of Jesus uh, encountering people and, and, meeting, and meeting their need. And uh, often it is very faith-stretching kind of stuff for us. I don't know if any of you uh, follow The Chosen, but my favorite scene in The Chosen is, is Jesus, Jesus heals a man and Thomas is standing watching this, uh, and, and Thomas just, Thomas sees this healing, and he just says, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. And in The Chosen, Jesus looks at him and says, get used to it, you're going to see a lot of that, uh, which, which I thought was, uh, was accurate and hilarious at the same time. And so in Mark 8, to 25, it says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so this is, this is our basic uh, story today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the scripture. And I also want to report on some things that I have seen God uh, do lately. I was on a missions trip in, in March, uh, you know, finally... Uh, as COVID was, was kind of coming to an end, was able to get a team out and, and go down to, to Honduras. And, uh, and, and honestly, folks, I don't know why. I, I, I can't explain exactly why this happened. I've been on a lot of mission trips. Uh, but uh, in, in those eight days in Honduras, uh, we saw more miraculous events. We saw more supernatural uh, kind of encounters faith encounters than I've probably seen in the, in the whole rest of my Christian life. It was pretty incredible, and it just, it stretched my faith, it challenged me, and, and when I came home, I, I was, in my heart, I was feeling like, this is what we need to see in Canada. We need to see God move in tangible ways in Canada. It's been, it's been so, it's been too long. Uh, it's been too long since we've, uh, since we've experienced revival. And uh, Bethsaida is, is uh, actually means mercy. And so in our Bible story here, uh, Jesus and the disciples, they meet this man at a place called mercy. And, uh, and, and what happens to like, what, what Jesus does for us is totally by grace. It's by his mercy. It's not because we're great people or, or we deserve it. It's a, it's, a, it's a mercy kind of thing. And, and, uh, and notice in the story that, that uh, other people bring the man to Jesus. Sometimes uh, we need others to bring us to Jesus in faith. And sometimes we need to bring others to Jesus in faith. Sometimes 
because of the circumstances of life, we can just get overwhelmed. We get overwhelmed by what the negative things that are, that are going on uh, around us. And, uh, and, and, and we, don't, we don't have the faith for ourselves. And, and, uh, and sometimes it's somebody else. I've, I've seen this several times uh, in my life where it's somebody else who kind of stands in and has, has the faith that we don't have that kind of brings us to Jesus in, in prayer because we, we're feeling overwhelmed and at that, at that moment, they kind of have more faith than, than we do and, and they step in and, uh, and, they, and they play their part. And, and so this man is, is uh, brought to Jesus and, uh, and Bethsaida also means desert place. It, it means a, a place, a barren, a barren kind of place, not the place that, uh, that you would go to on vacation you know, an out-of-the-way kind of place. And, uh, and so as they, bring this, as they bring this man to Jesus, uh, it's, it's interesting uh, that, that Jesus, Jesus takes the man and Jesus kind of removes him, removes him from the crowd uh, and, and takes him to an out-of-the-way uh, place where the crowd is, is not watching. And uh, when God moves supernaturally, when there are healings and, and miracles and things that happen, one of the things that I've noticed is that, is that it often happens in out-of-the-way places. Uh, it, it doesn't often happen in the spotlight. Uh, Jesus takes the man uh, where, where the pressure of, of, of the crowd is not on the situation where it's just, it's just him and the man and he can deal with the man's, what the man's issue is. And uh, Jesus, what, what I've found about Jesus is he will not be our entertainment and uh, he, will, he will not be our, our novelty act. You know, sometimes people are just looking for kind of the next thing, the next exciting thing uh, that can titillate their senses uh, or their emotions. And, and Jesus, uh, uh, what, one of the things I've noticed is I have seen I have seen God move in supernatural ways. It tends to happen in places that are unexpected, places where you wouldn't necessarily assume uh, that, that something spiritual was going to happen. So in Honduras, I was, uh, we were taking food out to the poorest of the poor who work on the, the dump outside of the city of Tegucigalpa. And basically the dump is like a big mountain of garbage and if you, can, if you can picture just like a dry, dusty place, the workers there uh, make a couple of dollars a day uh, just pulling metal out uh, of the garbage and, and then selling it. Uh, they've, they've got masks on their face to, to keep the, the dust out. There are, there are buzzards flying everywhere. It's not, a, it's not the kind of a place that, uh, that you would look at and go like, God is here. You know, something, something spiritual is, is going to happen. Uh, but as we were there, we, we did a little service off the back of a truck. You know, we got some guitars out, uh, you know, sang some worship songs in Spanish and uh, invited, invited people for, for prayer. And then we were going to feed them. And, uh, and, and there, there was this one man named uh, Valerio. I noticed that he seemed, very, uh, he seemed very comfortable with us. He was hanging by the truck. And there was a language barrier, and so I couldn't, uh, the, the translators were all busy, and I couldn't really, uh, I was like, I really felt like this impulse 
from God to talk to him, but, but, I, did, but I didn't speak his language, and so I was, kind of, I was kind of torn in what to do. And then I saw one of the translators uh, become free from a conversation, and, and I waved him over, and I found out that, the, that this man, uh, I, I said, can we, can we pray for you? And, and he said, yes, I've, uh, I want to tell you what's going on in my life. I've, I've been experiencing chest pains for, uh, for four days. And, and my breathing is, like, my breathing is shallow. I'm having a hard time breathing. And I don't, I don't have any, there's no doctors here. And even if there were, I don't have money to, to uh, go to the doctor. And, uh, and, and I said, is it okay if we, we pray for you? And, and he said, yes, I'm a Christian. Please pray for me. And we, we stood there beside the truck in, in the dump, you know, with the, with the poorest of the poor, and uh, I, I was feeling like out of my element. I was feeling like God, like this is, this is beyond me. Like I, there's nothing that I can do here that, that can really help this man. It has to be you. And so I just prayed a simple prayer that, that, God, would, that well, God would meet his need. And then afterward through the translator, the translator said to him, how, are you, how do you feel now? And, he, and this is what he told me. He said, he said, when you prayed, I felt heat go through my body from, from the top of my head down to my toes. He said, and, and my chest pain stopped, and, and now I can breathe. Now I can breathe normally. And, uh, you know, and we, and, we were, and we were like amazed uh, at, what, at what Jesus had just done. Jesus had literally touched this man because he... He was desperate in a desperate situation, and he had, he had no other option. Uh, and it was in an out-of-the-way place. And uh, what I find is when, when, uh, when the devil is at his worst, Jesus is at his best. Like Jesus, when, when there's nobody else that you can turn to, Jesus, Jesus will, he will reach out, uh, and, and he will touch us. And uh, and uh, you can go on my Facebook. I got. I got. I, I was like Valerio. Can I get a picture with you? Because because this is this is a special moment for me as well. Uh, and and I want to get a picture so that so that I can pray uh, pray for you. And uh, you know. And you can you can find you can dig around in my Facebook and it's uh, it's there. Jesus uh, often uses methods in in the Scripture. Jesus spits. Uh, on the man, and, and then touches him uh, with his hands. Let's just be honest. This is really weird, okay? This is sometimes we read the Bible, and there's stuff in it, and we, we just kind of read over it you know, like, like it's normal. And it's like, if this happened today, we'd be like, does God work that way? Like, this is really weird. He's, this was not a normal thing to do, to spit in, in, in somebody's in somebody's eye, and uh, and Jesus often uses methods that uh, that are surprising at best for us, and and sometimes they're sometimes they're downright shocking, sometimes they're downright like offensive to us. Like would God would God really really work in that way? And uh, so I don't know about you, but I. Like, I want everything that Jesus has for me. And that means that sometimes I just need to get over myself. 
You know what I mean? Like sometimes, sometimes I just need to, uh, to get over uh, the expectations that, that I have. What I've found is that uh, God doesn't play by my rules. And uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't bend to my agenda or my expectations about things, uh, about the way things are, are supposed to, to happen. And, uh, and so I think we need, to get, we need to get desperate enough. I've asked myself many times, why did I see what I saw in Honduras? Why did I see that there? And why don't I see that here? I've wrestled with that. And, and I, think, I think it might just be that because Honduras is, is a very poor country, you know, where there's 60% unemployment and, and gangs rule neighborhoods and, and the government is, is somewhat corrupt. And, and uh, because of all those things, there's kind of a desperation there. When people come to God with their needs, there is, a, there is an intensity and a desperation that sometimes we don't, we don't have here. Uh, people, people are too desperate to be proud. And, uh, and, there, and there's no other option. And so I asked the, the translator, Howell, who was working with us, I asked him about that. I said, I said, why, why do you think, why do you think you are, you see more, more miracles in your, in your ministry here? And he said, uh, he's, this is what he said to me. And I think there's wisdom in this for us from a brother in the, in the third world. He said, you have too many of your, this is what he said to me. You have too many of your own resources and so, so sometimes you don't go to God until it's a last resort. And, uh, and I, I, I haven't forgotten that. I've been, I've been rolling uh, that over in my mind and I've been kind of, I've been kind of wrestling with that. We, we live in a culture that is soaked in doubt. We are so skeptical. We live in a culture where we don't we don't believe in our institutions anymore. We don't believe in our government. We don't, we don't, there's, we, we are skeptical about everything. And, uh, and that doubt, I think it's, it's all, it's like the air we breathe and it, and it kind of seeps in even for us as Christians, it kind of seeps into, uh, to the church and, and, uh, and it, and it kind of gets, it kind of gets in the way. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the garden, the first thing, when, when Satan wants to tempt us, the first thing that he says is what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? He plants doubt, and then, and then he gives us a lie after that, an alternative truth than what the Bible says. And, uh, and so I know you've just finished a uh, kind of an apologetic series, and, uh, which, which I hear was, was very good. And uh, one of the things that I've, that one of the conclusions I've come to is that, is that we, don't, we don't doubt the Bible because it's full of contradictions. In our culture, we doubt the Bible because it contradicts us. We kind of have a religion of the sacred self, don't we, where it's like, like I am the judge of, I am going to be the judge of everything. And, and, and then it's, we smack up against uh, a supernatural faith where, where, God, where God says, no, you're not God, I am God. And, uh, and, and, and so sometimes it's, it's the, the doubt is kind of rooted, it's kind of rooted in, in, something, in something different than, than just having honest questions about, about the Bible. 
We can be soaked in doubt. And I think in our culture where we seem to be obsessed with our own dignity, we were obsessed with, we're, we're, such, a, we're such a proud people. We have, we have ground rules for God. God, this is what I will let you do in my life. And this is what I won't let you do. God, this is how I want you to work. And, uh, you know, God, I don't want you to work this way. And what I have found in my own life is, like, God does not obey me at all. <laughs> like, he, he wants to be God. He wants to be Lord, and, and, and I am not. And so if I, really, if I really want to experience what Jesus has for me, I have to be desperate enough. I have to be desperate enough to kind of get, to kind of get over myself, to get over, uh, over those things. One of the things I, I love about the Bible is, is how brutally honest and authentic it is. Like, I love, I love this uh, scripture here where, where Jesus, Jesus interviews the man and he says, he says you know, do, do you see anything? And, and the, man, the, man says, the man says, well, I see people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. Okay, so it's, it's kind of like invasion of the tree people, right? And, and it's, it's like you can't make this... Yeah, if, if you were just making up a God and making up a holy book, you would not put stuff like that in it. That is, that is like, that is so authentic to the way that we express ourselves, isn't it? Like the guy's like, the guy's blind and, and, and then afterwards he's like, well, I can see a little bit. It kind of looks like a, just a bunch of trees walking around. And, uh, and, uh, I, I just, I kind of love the, the brutal honesty that's there. When I, was in, uh, when I was in Honduras, one day we were going, we were going from house to house uh, with a pastor, just kind of visiting these little, uh, these, uh, little adobe houses that are very, very humble, uh, you know, just kind of one or two rooms. And we, and we were taking turns praying uh, on our team through the interpreter. And there was, there was a man that uh, was kind of doing some cement work uh, in the house, and and as we visited, uh, his 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 wife, you know, told him to stop and called him over, and and uh, she like like in the story, she's the the man did not seem to have a lot of faith. She spoke up for the man. She said he has been in a motorcycle accident, and uh, and ever since he has headaches, and uh, and his 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 shoulders are are sore. He's in pain a lot of the time. And the man just kind of shook his head and through the interpreter, he said, he said, yes, I hardly slept at all last night and, uh, and I, I'm just experiencing all this tightness uh, like in my shoulders, I'm, I'm in pain constantly. And so it was my turn to pray. And I prayed a nice dignified prayer. And, uh, and, you know, and, and when I was done praying, it was really obvious to me that nothing had changed, that nothing had happened. So uh, I looked to Hoel, our translator, who was also a pastor. I kind of desperately looked to him like, do you have anything to add here? And uh, Hoel prayed in a very interesting way. Hoel did not ask God to do anything. Hoel talked directly to the infirmity on behalf of God, which was kind of a stretch for my faith, right? He wasn't saying, God, will you do this? He spoke directly to what was going on in the man's life, uh, and he said, you know, and he was, he's very, he's Spanish, so he's very passionate. And so he's like, in Jesus' name, you know, and he's, he's speaking to this, 
He's speaking to the, uh, to the headache, and he's speaking to the, the soreness that the man has. And, uh, and so he, he prays the second time, and, uh, and, and the man just kind of has this surprised look on his face, and the man starts going like this. And he's like, my headache's gone, and, and I can move. And I was honestly inside, I was like, on the outside, I was like, mm-hmm. Inside, I was like, what? Like, I was, I was, I was surprised, right? Uh, because we're not, we're not as used to, to that kind of like, Howell looked like it's just another Monday, right? Just, just another Monday serving, serving Jesus. And, uh, and so it's, it's okay. Notice that, that Jesus goes back and he has to, he prays for the man a second time. It's okay if healing is a gradual process, not an instantaneous moment. We have, uh, we have all these stereotypes in our mind uh, from, from like Christian TV and stuff where it's like, where people are throwing jackets and, it's, and they're very showy and, and everything happens in a, in a certain way. And, uh, and I, I've often, I don't know why this is, but I've often found that sometimes it's on the third or the second, third or fourth prayer. Uh, sometimes people will say, well, I feel a little better. And, uh, and then we pray again. Uh, and then we pray like a third time, and then something happens. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. It may be, it may be something to do with uh, building our faith or, or our like, perseverance in, in prayer, uh, something, something like that. But, but often, uh, often we, have to, we have to pray more than once to see God work. And we live in an in instantaneous society where like if we're not like if if we're not getting like a Wi-Fi signal in the first three seconds, like where we're like what's going on here? Like we're so we're so uh, we we want everything and we and we want it right now and and uh, and sometimes we have to persevere in prayer. One of the things I noticed about church in Honduras is like nobody ever seemed to be in a hurry. When does church start? Ah, about twenty minutes after it's supposed to. When does church end? When it does. Like when we feel like God is done, right? And, and so uh, in, we would have services. And at the end of the service, like nobody was, it's like we will stay here and we will pray as long as it takes to see something happen. Like we are, uh, we're not rushing off uh, to our next thing. And uh, we'll, we will pray all night if, if we have to. The goal of, of all healings and miracles, as we see, as we see in the story, uh, as we see the man, the man is, is restored, uh, the goal of all healings and miracles is to restore something that has been lost. They're a practical demonstration of God's concern. And, and so Jesus is always practical. It's, it's always to see something that the devil has stolen from us restored and kind of, and kind of brought, brought back. The Bible says in, in 1 John 3, 8, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to restore, to bring back everything that the devil uh, has, has, taken, has taken from us. I was... Uh, I, I have a, I'm very right-brained and creative, and so sometimes things will mix together. So I'm reading the Bible, 
and I'm watching TV one night, uh, and so I've got like the scripture going on uh, kind of on this side, but over here I'm watching a show about airplane repo, right, which is... It's just like one of those weird guy shows where it's, where it's like, where like, you know, it's, it's one thing to repossess a car. It's another thing to repossess an airplane. You know, they have to sneak in, start up the plane and take off before somebody stops them. So there's this crazy show about like, about repossessing airplanes if people aren't up on their, up on their, uh, on their payments. And, and so, so mixing the Bible with, with the repo show, uh, suddenly I get inspired and I do a lot of prison ministry, so suddenly I get inspired and I end up writing this poem called Repo Man. From prison church to drug rehab, redemption is no smash and grab. An inside job, a well-planned heist, the mastermind, the one called Christ, reaches deep in darkened cells and shines a light on private hells. He's taking back what Satan stole and filling in the God-shaped hole. With kingdom keys and nail-pierced hands, Jesus is God's repo man. And uh, that's, that's what God, that's what, that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus is, is up to uh, in, in all of our lives. And the bigger purpose, the bigger purpose of the miraculous, you know, the man the man finally saw clearly. He saw reality as it actually was. And, and that, is, that is the purpose of, of the miraculous, is that we might see things clearly, that we might see the world like God sees the world, that we might see ourselves like God sees ourselves, that we might see others like God sees others. The man's sight was restored. And uh, we live in crazy times, don't we? We live in times where uh, uh, you, you, know, you want to talk about having faith. Um, we, li we live in a time where people are like, you know, I can't believe in the virgin birth, but I can believe that men can physically bear children, right? Uh, like, really? Which is harder to believe? You know, that, that a supernatural God of the universe could could impregnate a virgin or that, you know, uh, that a man can have a baby. We, we live in, 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 these, in these crazy times where, where people are believing all kinds of, all kinds of distorted, in, distorted things. It, it says in, uh, in Judges 21, uh, 21, 25, it says that when there is no king, everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. That's the chaos we see all around us these days. When there's no king, if there's not King Jesus, then you're king and you just do whatever you feel like. And uh, eventually that kind of turns, turns into, into chaos. And so we need to see King Jesus very, very clearly in these days. I have never been, I've never ever been like a revelation, end times, figure everything out kind of guy. But over these last two years, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm watching stuff play out in real time here. Like, and, and uh, if, there was, if, there was ever, if there was ever a time when as Christians and as the church, we need to see things clearly and have God's perspective on things, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely right now. We live, we live in a very distorted uh, kind of culture. And since COVID... 
Uh, there, has been, there has been some kind of a shift in the world. We don't know exactly how to describe it, but I think all of us can feel it. Doesn't it feel like the, what was solid ground is now kind of shifting? Doesn't it feel like I don't know what's going to happen next? Doesn't it, doesn't it feel like, like something, something uh, has happened in an accelerated way that, that we weren't quite expecting? And, and it seems like, it seems like the, the world is kind of indifferent to a church that doesn't have power and, and doesn't have passion. And, uh, and so I think, I think we need less sit and more spit uh, in our lives, myself included, and in the life of the church. If there was ever a time we needed kind of more and moral clarity, it's right now. If there was ever a time we need restoration and revival, it's right now. I was at a, a church with a young pastor in Nova Scotia a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he, he, this, this was kind of late, at, like on a Saturday night, he just kind of looked at me across the table dead serious, very, very concerned about what he saw going on around him in his community and in the country, and, and he just looked at me and he said, he said, like, what? What is it going to take? What is it going to take to turn things around? And he, he, was really, he was really intense about this. And I thought for a moment, and I, I said, you know, I don't, honestly, I don't see any other option but revival. There's no other option for us but, but revival. We need, we need God to move. We need God to move in our lives and the lives of our communities. There's, there's, uh, we, we need more messy moments, right? When, when Jesus shows up and he does things in kind of ways that make us a little uncomfortable, they're kind of messy moments, uh, but it, it may be a little unusual, but, but, uh, but we know that God is in it. And, uh, and, that's kind of where my, my heart is at right now. I'm just kind of like, God, uh, we need you. We need you. We, are, we need some tangible grace for some terrible times, God. We, we, we really do. I want, to, uh, I want to close with a story to encourage you. And then uh, after, after uh, we, we, do a, we do a song, we are going to have a, a, time, a prayer time uh, for anybody that's just kind of feeling like, I need a... You know, I need a miracle in my life. I need God to, to do something. And, and it's, it's like I'm in a, a desperate state and I really, uh, I just really, really need some people of faith to pray for me about this. We're going we're gonna to have some ministry time here, kind of here at the end. But I want to tell you the story of the most changed, I, th I think the biggest miracle is, is not, it's not necessarily physical healing. It's not necessarily something that is, that is tangibly unusual. The biggest miracle is always a changed life. It's always a changed life. A couple years ago, um, I, I do, I've been doing prison ministry for like 30 years. And up until COVID, uh, once a month on Tuesday night, we, we went, I would take a team and we'd go into prison. Uh, one time when my, my daughter Emily was little, my wife, it was a Tuesday night, and my wife heard Emily in the phone in the other room, like, my dad, no, he's not here. He's in prison, you know, because she, she decided everybody went to prison on Tuesday night, right? 
And uh, we, we have no idea who that was. We never did find out. But a couple years ago, uh, we, we were, uh, the band was kind of practicing before the prison chapel service started. And, uh, and this guy poked his head in. He had obviously never been to chapel before. He, uh, he had a shaved head. He had a lot of tattoos. Uh, he's pretty scary looking. He had a, a couple of teardrop tattoos, which I think means he killed a couple people. He, he pokes his head in to see what's going on. One of my students kind of looks up and sees him in the doorway and, and starts praying like, God, don't let that guy come and sit next to me. <laughs> like, I'll go to Africa. I'll do anything. Please, just don't. So, of course, he comes right over and sits beside that student. And uh, he starts coming out to chapel when we're there. He doesn't go any other time, just, just when Kingswood is there. And so uh, one Tuesday night, we show up a few months later, and uh, he, he's like, hey, I just became a Christian yesterday. Cal Maskery from Moncton was here, and he prayed with me, and I became a Christian. Can I tell the other prisoners about it? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Before we start, I'll just hand you the mic, and you say whatever you want. He dropped the F-bomb 10 times in five minutes in his testimony. He was so rough around the edges, he didn't even realize this wasn't appropriate, right? God is bleeping awesome. And then he's like, he... And so this started this relationship where every, you know, when we would go once a month, we would get the latest installment. I can't give you his real name. I'll just call him Joe. We would get the latest installment of what was happening with Joe, Joe was very feared, and so Joe decided he was going to start some Bible studies. So he'd just walk up to people and go, Bible study, Monday, 1 p.m. Okay, Joe, right? So like Bible studies were breaking out, these like Bible studies that you couldn't say no to were breaking out or around the prison. And, uh, but what he started, like he brought these Hilroy notebooks. He was like sitting in his he was sitting in his cell and he was like writing it. When he read the Bible, he was writing out his own commentary in these Hillroy notebooks. And he would bring them to me and, and kind of read them to me. And I would, I would look forward to the next installment was going to happen. He started to reinterpret all his tattoos. He had FTW tattooed on his chin, which used to mean like, hmm, the world. Now he says, you know what this means? I was like, no, Joe. And he goes, faith the word. Okay. He has ACMD tattooed on his knuckles, both knuckles, which used to mean all cops must die. Now it means all Christians must disciple. Okay, Joe, right? Um, so he's, he's he, every, every month we go, he's, he's telling me, like God is, he's, he's going from, there's a, a young guy, it's his first time in prison, he has that disease where, uh, that, that sickness where, you know, you, part of your hair all turns white even though you're very young. People are making fun of him. Joe has a glass eye. Joe takes his glass eye out, walks around with this other young prisoner and says, if you're going to make fun of him, make fun of me. And everybody backs off. He's gone from being somebody that everybody fears to being a protector in prison. And uh, some, uh, he, he told me that he used to be uh, with a motorcycle gang. If I said the name, you would know what it is uh, up in Montreal. Some guys get transferred down to the prison and, uh, and they confront him in the prison yard. They're like, Joe, we know this Christian stuff is all fake. And we know, you're, we know you got a shank in your boot because you never go anywhere with like without a knife. 
Joe pulls out his New Testament and he says, this is the only shank I carry now and you can't take me out because I'm not going anywhere until Jesus says it's okay. And they just get so weirded out that they leave him alone, right? So when COVID hits, like I have not been in prison in two years. It's the first thing to shut down. And I'm like, how are all of these guys doing in prison? All the guys that we led to Jesus and are Christians there. And I, it's kind of in the middle of COVID and I get this, I get this, uh, <clears throat> this letter sent through the prison chaplain. And uh, it's from Joe. And he's like, I want to thank you guys for what you did for me. And uh, I also want you to know there's a, there's a small group of us in here. We're still Christians and we're staying strong. And we're having Bible studies. And, uh, and I was like, isn't it why? Like God knew. God knew that all of us were going to get locked out of the prison. And God raised up Joe to be kind of a chaplain in there, uh, a, a very scary, tattooed-looking chaplain when the other chaplains couldn't come in. And uh, just, just about a month ago, I got an email from the, the chaplain at the prison. Uh, and in it, he had... He had uh, like connected a file to the email and said, uh, said like, Joe's, Joe and, and three other prisoners decided that they want to be pastors. And, they, and so they've started, they've started classes at Kingswood. And, uh, and so, so Joe, Joe did his first class, his first Bible class, and he got an A in the course. And uh, he sent me, he, he, through the chaplain, he sent me, you know, some of the things were blacked out, but he, he wanted to show me that he got an A in his first Bible course, right? And, uh, and that just, like, that just moved me. That just warmed my heart. And uh, if, if, if God can meet Joe where he's at, like, God can meet any of us, right? God can meet our need. And... Uh, and so I don't know, uh, as, we, as we do this last song, like I don't know what the needs are today. I just, I just know that we serve a supernatural God and, uh, and that Jesus is real uh, and that we can experience him. And uh, he meets us with tangible grace wherever we're at. And uh, so be encouraged today. Be encouraged to keep on keeping on in your faith. And, uh, and, and if there's something you need to pray about today, if there's something where you just, I just feel compelled in my heart to bring this to Jesus, uh, this might be the very day that, that God does a miracle in this place. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.